Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. Really, really glad you're here. Whether I can see you, you're in the room with us here, or you're online, and you can see me, but I can't see you. That's cool. No matter how you're here joining us, whatever the case is, we're just glad that you are here. So we are in the midst, kind of in the middle of a seven-week sermon series called Puzzled by the Bible. So the reason we're calling it that is really two reasons. One, because sometimes we as human beings, we approach this book, we approach the Bible as if it's a puzzle. We know pieces of it, a story here and there, a verse here and there that we can quote. We only know pieces, but we don't realize that it's one big picture. That God is telling one big story, and so it's puzzled by the Bible. We're trying to put all the pieces together to help us understand it's not just a bunch of pieces. It's one big picture. It's one big story. The second reason we call it puzzled by the Bible is because, let's be honest, the Bible can be puzzling, can't it? It's hard to understand sometimes. It's hard to know where to start. It's hard to know when you're reading something, you say, I am not, I don't have a clue what this is trying to tell me. So it can be very puzzling. So this is why we're in this series. And I just want to let you know, we've been telling you this every week. This series originally came actually from another pastor named Pastor Kevin Myers from a church called 12 Stone Church. And so that's kind of where the material and content came from. He gave that like 10 years ago. So this has been in the hopper for us for a long time. Uh, And we felt like this was the right timing to bring it out. So what I want to do, though, is I want to start a little bit different than I've been starting any of this series, any of the messages in this series. I want to start by telling you a story, kind of giving you an illustration uh, that another guy named Rob Bell gave many years ago in a series that he did all over the nation. So I'm going to start with that. So there was a cave woman who lived a long time ago in a cave, right? Amazing. And this cave woman, this particular cave woman, she had the main she had a lot of tasks, of course, but one of her main tasks was she took care of the plants, the crops that would feed her family, because she had a caveman as well. Yay! Right? And they lived together in this cave and, and she took care of the plants. And one thing that she noticed when she took care of the plants is what she did or did not do to the plants affected the plants. Amazing, right? But she also noticed that other things affected the plants as well. Much bigger forces that she became aware of. And some of those forces were these things. For example, there was this water that would come out of the sky at times. And if there was the right amount of water then the plants would grow, and they would grow really well, and they would have fruits, and they would have vegetables. They would have food, plentiful food. But she also noticed that sometimes the water would not come out of the sky for a long, long time. And there would be this thing called a drought. Of course, she didn't call it that, but it was dry. And the ground would dry out really, really bad, and the the plants would die, and they would not be able to produce food. And she realized that she didn't have control over this dryness, this lack of water. But then she also noticed that sometimes there would be too much water. It would 
come out of the sky too fast, too furious, and too often, and they'd get so much water that the roots would be ripped out and the plants would be washed away, and they would be in the same boat. They would have no food. And so these forces were kind of interesting to her, but they were, they, she had no control over them. She also noticed that there were other things going on. There's like this big circle of fire that would move through the sky at regular intervals. And it would cycle through the sky. And sometimes it would be higher and sometimes it would be lower. And, and there was no control, but it would change. But it was definitely, there was a rhythm to it. And she also noticed, by the way, that there were rhythms in her body that kind of tuned in with those things. And some of those rhythms she really thought were really cool. And some of those rhythms she thought, man, I don't want this. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Just so we're clear. And she realized that she had no control over these rhythms and these forces that were going on around her and inside of her. In fact, she also realized that some things would happen really, really interesting. Sometimes a new life would begin to grow inside her. And she realized that sometimes when it was time for that life to burst, she would give birth to a child. And what she noticed is sometimes when she would give birth to a child, that child haven't had enough air and strength and energy, and the child would, would grow and, and would survive and do that. But sometimes she realized, and other cave women, she realized that sometimes the child would be born and there was not enough breath or whatever it was to support the life, and the life would not be there. And she realized she had no control over these forces. Now, the interesting thing is that human beings, what we as human beings did way, way, way back thousands of years ago, human beings decided we need to come up with a way to explain what these forces are. And so they created gods and goddesses to explain all of these forces that were acting upon them, or at least as they thought. And so the problem with this is, is they realize they have to keep the gods and goddesses, the deities, happy. Because if the gods and goddesses are not happy, then we get not enough rain or we get too much rain. Or, you know, things don't work out and the cycles don't work out and things are not good. Or, or my caveman husband goes on a hunt and they, they're looking for food, but they can't find any food. And so he returns and says, green beans again tonight. Or Chick-fil-A, one of the two. Right? And so what human beings do is they realize we need to appease the gods. And so you know what the idea that they came up with? The, the, the idea that they came up with was the altar, a sacrifice. We need to sacrifice something in order to make the gods happy. Now I know I'm in weird territory here. You're like, Where, what are we talking about in church on a Sunday morning? This is very strange territory. I get it. Just hold on. We'll get there. And so the sacrifice system was put into place, but it was not God's sacrifice system. It was humans' sacrifice system, you understand. It was a human creation. It was a human construct to try to explain the forces. But there was a problem with the sacrifice system. 
you probably already recognize what the problem is, but let me spell it out. The problem with the sacrifice system is this. You always had to sacrifice more in order to keep the gods happy. Am I right? So, for example, if you had the perfect amount of rain, in fact, just the right amount of rain, the gods clearly were happy, and so your crops tripled. You didn't have double crops. You had triple the crops. And your caveman husband, he went out, and he was an exceptionally good that year. And so he was able to kill all these animals, and you brought meat in, and man, you had a feast this year. Triple the amount of food. We are doing great. Man, the gods must be happy. Well, here's the problem. When you get through that year, when you go to sacrifice to the gods, what's your problem? The problem is I can't sacrifice the same as I did last year because then the gods will be angry and so next year is going to be terrible. Right? And so I have to sacrifice much more in order to keep them happy. But the same is true in reverse. Let's say that they get no rain for days, for weeks, for months, and the crops dry out and they can't find food. There's no animals. The animals left because the food's left. They don't know that, but that's what happened. And now they had a really hard year. Well, why is that? Because the gods were clearly angry. And so we need to sacrifice more. And so there was this vicious cycle where people came up with this idea that we need to sacrifice to appease the deities. We need to appease the gods and goddesses. We need to keep them happy, and so we're going to keep sacrificing more and more and more. The problem is that eventually you've sacrificed so much that you have nothing left to give except what? Except yourself. And so we know this from history. You guys remember I was a history teacher. You knew I was going to get into it at some point, right? I was a history teacher, so we can get into it. Now, I'm not going to get in too deep, but I'm just telling you that it is very clear from studying civilizations and even some civilizations that currently exist that some religious faiths, they go all the way to the point where they have nothing left to give and therefore they will cut and hurt themselves to give their own blood to appease the gods. This still happens to this day, but it definitely happened in the ancient cultures. In fact, and this is uncomfortable for us, but at, at some point you have to go even beyond that level in order to sacrifice more because it was a vicious sacrifice cycle. And so what happened is people would begin to sacrifice other human beings, even their own children. This is very clear. You can read all about this in history. Many civilizations in ancient history did this. You guys have heard the stories. You've watched the National Geographic shows, haven't you? And they had to give more and more and more. But what if I were to tell you that that was a human creation system and it was not God's? What if I were to tell you that that was human beings trying to do the best they could to create their own gods and goddesses, but that's going to fail because the humans created them? What if I were to tell you that God, the one true God of the universe, the real God, not created by humans, God, the one true God who created everything has a completely different system, a completely different way for us to live and to sacrifice? What if I were to tell you that? 
The truth is that it's true. And so let me take us back. We've talked a lot about this guy named Abraham. So God, the one true God, the real God, not a made-up God by human beings, the one true God of the universe comes in and he starts speaking to Abraham, which, by the way, was like mind-blown for Abraham because he's only existed and only known people trying to make the gods and goddesses be happy by sacrificing over and over and over again. And no god has ever entered into their, their life, their system, their way, their planet. And all of a sudden, God is speaking to him. And what does God say? God says, Abraham, I have a different way of life for you. This whole way of life that human beings have come up with, it's not good. They're sacrificing, they're cutting themselves, they're sacrificing their children. That, this is horrible. And so I have a different system. And what I want you to do is I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something. But before I do that, I'm going to make three promises to you. Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your family is going to give birth to the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. You're going to become a great nation. I'm going to give you a great land. And through your family is going to come a great Messiah, Jesus. And then God makes this promise, and then what does he ask Abraham to do? If you remember the Abraham story, you know what the very next thing that God asked him to do. God asks him, he says, Abraham, I need you to leave your father's household. Now, when we think God tells Abraham to leave your father's household, that does not mean he opened the garage door and threw his stuff into a truck and said, I'm going to start driving, God, where you, you're where you want me to go, right? That's not what it means. Yes, he had to physically leave his father's house, whatever that was. But what God is saying to Abraham is, I need you to leave everything you know. I need you to walk away from how your father, your mother, your family has taught you to appease the gods and the goddesses. I need you to walk away from that because it's wrong. It doesn't work. I need you to leave your way of life. I need you to leave your family's way of life. I need you to leave all of that, and I'm going to show you a different way. Now, you may or may not know that I'm going to this place in the Abraham story, but as soon as God says this to Abraham, Abraham packs up and he leaves. Maybe take a few days, I don't know. All we know is Abraham obeys God and he leaves. So fast forward, it's a long, long time from there. He, uh, he and Sarah, his wife, they give birth to a son. And so they have this son. This is obviously the beginning of the new nation, right? You have to have one before you can have an entire nation. And so they have their son. And this is where the story gets really strange for our modern culture. Because it is at that moment that God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I need you to go sacrifice your son. You can read all of this in the book of Genesis. God says, Abraham, I need you to go up and then you just sacrifice your son. And so Abraham, at this point, now, here's, here's the truth, right? In our modern context, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, how many of you are like, yep, totally comfortable with that, totally normal? No, you're not. You're sitting here kind of squirming a little bit like, where are we going with this? 
Because I'm not sure if I want to know this story. Right? It's weird. And let's be honest. When I say God says to Abraham, Abraham, you're going to go up on this mountain and you're going to sacrifice your son to me. Okay? The two things that we probably figure Abraham's going to say in our modern culture and context and this is, I would agree with you because I would say these same two things. We're going to think that Abraham's going to do two things. One, he's going to say, uh, no, that's my son. I love him. Therefore, no, I'm not going to sacrifice him. I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to do that. That would be obvious, right? Right away, we're going to say, Abraham's not going to you know, acquiesce to this. He's not going to follow God on this. And the second thing we're probably going to figure is if just maybe, if Abraham would go on with this, what's he going to do? He's going to ask God, how do you want me to do this? Because this is pretty awful. Right? Like, how, how do you want me to do this? Here's what's interesting. When God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, Abraham does not refuse. He doesn't say no. And he doesn't ask how to do this. He doesn't do either one of those things. He just prepares and starts walking up to the mountain with his son. Now, the question I have for you is why? Why did Abraham not balk at this? Why did Abraham not at least ask, how in the world do you want me to accomplish this? How do you want me to do this? You know why he didn't ask? Because he is surrounded by cultures that do this on a regular basis. It was normal in that day and age. In those cultures. As horrible as it sounds in our modern context, because we would never even think of that, it was normal in his day to sacrifice your own children to a god and goddess to appease them. That was normal. Abraham doesn't balk at it because this is how he's always existed and always interacted with the deities. And so what God is going to do is he's going to show Abraham, I want to change your thinking. I want to change how you view this and how we're going about all of this. And so Abraham takes his son up on the mountain. I go up onto the mountain and he's got the knife, he's got the wood, and he's got all the stuff to make an altar. And he's getting ready and he's going to sacrifice his son. And literally, I can tell you this, I'm not going to read this out loud, but it says that Abraham has the knife in his hand. His son is actually tied down on the altar. Abraham has the knife in his hand. And at that moment, God says, stop, no, do not lay a hand on the boy. By the way, I'm thankful that God's timing is good. You know what I'm saying? Seriously. And I want to read for you what happens in that moment because we, when we read this story, in fact, I, I'll have to admit, when I read this story, I pass right over the next two verses because I'm stuck on the fact that Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, right? I'm with you. I'm like, I'm stuck on that. God, what were you doing? And we miss these next two verses. I want to read for you what happens. God says, stop. Do not lay a hand on the boy. What happens next? Genesis 22, verses 13 and 14. It says this. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will Provide. 
Abraham literally names that place on the mountain, the Lord will provide. In other words, I want us to understand what has just happened, what has just gone on. So in order to explain this, let me go back. Do you remember the point that I made last week, those of you that were here? The point that I made last week was a very, very important one because this message connects to last week. Last week we talked about how God put in this very complicated uh, animal sacrifice system. And the reason is because of what? Because there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of what? Blood. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9.22 says this. It says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Scripture tells us this very clearly. Now, blood has to be shed. Something must be sacrificed. The payment for sin has to be dealt with. It cannot just be forgiven. You have to shed blood in order to forgive it. That's how egregious and damaging it is. And so what did God do with Abraham? He just changed the entire game. The whole thing of how humans viewed gods and goddesses and deities. And in this case, the one true God is setting the right system in place. And what is he doing? God is still saying, yes, you have to sacrifice. Blood must be shed to save all of you from your sin. But here's the difference. God says, I'm going to provide the sacrifice. You don't have to. God says, I'm going to give you the sacrifice. You don't have to. You don't have to cut yourself. By the way, some of you in here, you hide the fact that you still do this. In a group this size, it happens in our culture a lot. I know. And it's so that you can make the other pains go away. God tells you that's not how you do it. You don't sacrifice your own children. I want them to live. I want you to live. And God provides the sacrifice for Abraham and he changes everything. He says, I'm going to be the one that provides the sacrifice, not you. Blood still must be shed, but it's not you that's going to perish. It's not you that's going to die. Now, the truth is that God was telling this story from the very beginning. Human beings just missed it. Let me review the one big story that we've been talking about throughout this whole series, right? So really quick, let's review. The Bible is one big story. You have two main parts. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. The Old Covenant, the Old Promise, and the New Covenant, or the New Promise between God and people. The Old Testament has five events that lead up to Jesus. The New Testament has five events that point back to Jesus that kind of descend after Jesus. Every one of those five events parallel each other, so they're connected by a line because they parallel each other. They're perfect mirror to each other in ascending or descending order. Let me walk through them. The first event in the Old Testament is God and righteous people in paradise. God creates a perfect world and places the first man and the first woman into the perfect world. Everything's perfect. By the way, ladies, no cycles. Hey! Seriously, men, guess what? No cycles. 
Yay! I'm not sure who's more happy. <laughs> right? Perfect world, no problems, no sin, no issues, no pain, no crying, no mess, no problems at all. How many of you want that kind of world? Yeah, buddy. That's how God intended it. But then the second event happened. Satan and sin enter. Mess the whole thing up. Satan tempts Adam and Eve. They fall into temptation. They give in to sin. They rebel against God. Satan and sin enter our world and mess the whole thing up. The third event, the world is judged and destroyed. It gets so bad, God destroys the entire planet with a global flood. The only people who survive are Noah and his family on the ark. Fourth event, world, one world government. This is where all the people come together, try to become God, so God scatters them over the planet. And then the fifth and final event, it's actually the rest of the Old Testament. Starts in Genesis, goes through the entire rest of the Old Testament, is we have the story of the Old Covenant being established. The promise between God and Abraham, between God and Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, the rest of the Old Testament follows. Read the whole thing. The entire thing is about the Israelites. The Old Covenant being established between God and Israel his people. And then that leads us to the pinnacle, the point of the entire story, which is Jesus. We're going to come back to that in a minute, as you probably figured. And that turns the corner and pivots everything into one big story in history. And the next event in the New Testament, it parallels the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, is the new covenant is established. Because of Jesus, now all we have to do is accept Jesus to have forgiveness of sin. We'll get into that. The next event is a one-world government. This has not happened yet. We are on our way to a one-world government. By the way, I just watched the opening ceremonies in China, the Olympics, and NBC. If you watch them, you know what I'm talking about. You, what did they all talk about? It wasn't the Olympics. It was about all the other stuff that was going on because of China and surrounding China. Let me just tell you, it is very, very very obvious that we are headed as fast as possible toward a one-world government. No doubt about it. Everything that God says is going to happen is going to happen. It is so clear. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen like imminently tomorrow. It could be another 2,000 years. In fact, where are we at on this timeline? Let's go ahead and put the dot there. That's where you are. You are after Jesus and before the one-world government. We've been there for 2,000 years, by the way. It might be another 2,000. We don't know. But that's how long we've been there. We've been in this in-between for a long, long time. So there is time coming when there's going to be a one-world government. Then the next event that's going to happen after the one-world government is the world is going to be judged and destroyed again. The first time was by flood. Second time is going to be by fire. We will get into that in the very last message of this series. We're going to talk about the book of Revelation. That'll be a fairly intense one, as you would imagine. So the world is judged and destroyed again. And then the, fifth, the fourth event is Satan and sin exit. This is where God literally kicks out everything that's bad. Yay! It's a good thing. It's a good day, right? Satan and sin exit. And then it leads us to the fifth and final event, the one that lasts forever. God and redeemed people in paradise. Redeemed because at once we were righteous. Remember the first event. God and righteous people in paradise. It was perfect to begin. Then sin messed it up, and now we have to be redeemed. And so God and redeemed people in paradise forever with God. Now, this is the one big story that God is trying to tell. The question that I have for you is this. 
Why is Jesus the main point? Why does the one big story hinge on Jesus? The reason is because killing animals, like happened in the Old Testament, was not God's final solution. Killing animals in place of to shed the blood on behalf of us is not, was not, that was not the final and ultimate plan for God. God did not want to see all the animals have to be sacrificed because they're innocent as well. Has to be innocent blood. He didn't want that to be the case. And so God has to provide a perfect sacrifice that will take care of all future sacrifices. So who is that? That's Jesus. Let me read for you what it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 through 15. This is actually that same passage, that same chapter that I read last week and just read a moment ago. It's just a few verses before that. Listen to what it says. It says, With His, that's Jesus, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. These are some of the most powerful words ever written. Just, there's a lot of words here, but just kind of keep track. Under the old system, the Old Testament, the old covenant, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. In other words, sin. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why Jesus is the one who mediates a new covenant. Remember the new covenant, new testament, new promise between God and people. The new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. In other words... Jesus is the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God that was sacrificed for your sin and for mine. Essentially what God was saying with that sacrifice is he's saying, I don't want you to die. I don't want you to be set apart from me. I don't, you don't have to make a sacrifice to appease me, to make me happy. Just so that we're clear, God is always good. He's, he doesn't have a bad day. Hey, you know how when you wake up and you're like, uh, I'd rather not today. Anybody have those days? I have those days. I'm a human being, right? Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I wake up in the glory of God every day going, woo, Yeah. Life is awesome. I feel terrible, but man, we're going to have a great day today. I get down just like anybody. I struggle just like anybody. I have hard days just like anybody. God does not have a hard day. He doesn't have a bad day. He's always good. He's always happy. He's always good. Whatever you want to call it. He's always there. He's always set. 
He's perfect. He cannot improve. We don't need to sacrifice because God needs to be appeased. We need a sacrifice because we cannot be in God's holiness and presence because he is perfect and he wants us to be. And so he has given us a path, a way to be sacrificed. The shed blood has already been given. We just have to accept it. We just have to believe in it. Let me read for you what it says in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. It tells us this very thing. It says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Just think about that for a minute. God wants to save you from the empty life that you were born into because human beings came up with these other crazy, messed up systems. God says, no, I want to save you from that. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God loves you dearly. Some of you in here do not believe that. You don't. Because, and let me tell you why you don't. This is, one, for some, this is not all of you, but for some of you, you don't believe that God loves you. And the reason is because you have not experienced the right kind of love or true love here on earth. And therefore, you don't think that kind of love can exist. Therefore, God can't love you that way. And maybe God doesn't even exist because you haven't experienced it. Let me be the first sometimes to hopefully help you understand and realize God loves you. He loves you. And the way that he proves it, he proves it a lot of ways, but one of the most powerful ways that he proves it to every one of us is he said, I don't want you to shed your blood. I don't want your children to shed their blood. I don't want you to have to sacrifice your energy, your life, your blood for me. What I need for you to understand, God says, I am going to sacrifice myself so that you can be in my presence and be in relationship with me because I love you. So Jesus died on the cross in our place. That's the whole point of this entire book. The whole thing is the fact that God loves you and he desires for you to be with him. It's the whole point. And it all is wrapped around Jesus. And so the question I have for you today is a simple one. Will you believe in Jesus and his death on the, on the cross for you? You don't have to kill an animal. You don't have to cut yourself. You don't have to sacrifice your children. All you have to do is trust, is you have to choose. It's your choice. I cannot make the choice for you. Your spouse cannot make it for you. Kids in the room, your, your parents cannot make this decision for you as much as they would like to. They cannot make this for you. This is your choice. It's your decision. Will you believe? Will you accept Jesus? 
the shed blood of the Lamb of God that can take your sins away. By the way, remember we've been saying that God has always been telling one big story. He always knew this was going to happen. This is where he was going the whole time. Let me read for you the very next verse where I left off in 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to what it says. Right after it says Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God, listen to what it says. It says, God chose him, Jesus, as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days he has been revealed for your sake. Catch this. God knew all of this was going to happen before he created the universe. Before he put Adam and Eve in the garden, before any of that happened, God knew Jesus was going to have to die on a cross for your sins and for mine. That's always been the story. The difference is we're just catching up. And so, will you accept the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for your sins. There is no greater, no more important thing. Some of you in here, you may be sitting here and you may not know. You may not know if you have ever given that, that opportunity, if you've never given your life to Jesus. I would encourage you, my prayer for you, God's prayer for you is that you would do that that you would turn your life over to him, that you would accept the shed blood of the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for your sins. And today, we're going to end the only way that I think it makes sense to end. It's been a while since we've been able to do this as a church together. And so we're going to end by taking communion. So the worship team is going to make their way up here, and we're going to kind of go into a time of communion here real quick. But what I want to just encourage you to do, you don't need to mess with the cups and the wafers and all that kind of stuff just yet. We're not there yet. So just kind of hang, you know, just keep them where they're at. I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through that when we get to it. But the reason we take communion is because Jesus said you're supposed to. Now, I want to be clear because this is important. Some of you in here maybe haven't given your life to Jesus. We have quite a few people at Northridge who they come, but they're not quite sure where they're at with God. And that's okay. We're, we love that. This is a safe place. We talk about that all the time. It's a safe place for you to come no matter where you are with God. We hope that at some point you choose God. That's why we're here. That's why we do all this. It's a lot of work if we didn't believe in that. <laughs> so if you're here and you're not sure if you're one with Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus, then this actually isn't for you. And that's okay if you don't take communion. We're not going to sit there and point you out. We're not going to be like, they're not drinking from the cup. We're not, we're not worried about that. What we're worried about is whether or not you want to give your life to Jesus. And, and if you want to, that's awesome. Do that today and then take communion for the first time with the real meaning of what it is. That's awesome. But if you're not ready, if communion is uncomfortable for you for whatever reason, that's okay. That's cool. Don't worry about it. But for those of you in here that you claim to be followers of Christ, you're supposed to do this. You have to do this. Because Jesus says you have to. <laughs> 
He said, I, I, I command you to do this. You're going to do this and you're going to do this and you're going to do this in remembrance of me. You're going to do this to remember what I've done for you. That I died on the cross and I rose from the grave for you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. Very relevant. It's called the Lamb of God. And I'll just say this. Do whatever you need to do right now to make sure that you, your heart, your mind, your soul, your body, everything's lined up with Jesus right right now in this moment. That might mean you need to get on your knees. It'll be hard. It's a wood floor. It's okay. It'll be all right might mean that you need to close your eyes. It might mean that you need to stand and you need to raise your hands. It might mean that you need to pray. It might mean that you need to be quiet. It might mean that you need to sing the song with the words, but we're just going to remain seated if you want. If you want to stand, that's great. If you don't, that's great. No matter what you want to do, but you take the posture that you need to take to make sure you're hearing God clearly right now and that you're one with Jesus because we're going to commemorate what Jesus did on the cross by taking communion. But first, we're going to spend some time just singing this song. So I'll come back up in the middle of this song, lead you through communion. But right now, I just invite you, focus on these words, focus on the voice of God, and remember what Jesus did for you. Let's worship him.